1: Right, let's get the show started on a Thursday. It is a Calgary Flames game day from the Scotiabank Saddledome. The final game of a four-game homestand for your Calgary Flames. And their final home game in the month of January. It's the Calgary Flames and the Chicago Blackhawks. Welcome to Sportsnet. Today, it's Logan Gordon along with you. Coming to you live from the Doug Lacey's Basement Systems Downtown Studios in beautiful Calgary, Alberta. Lots to see you on the program today. We'll chat and get you set for uh, for tonight's game with Flames color analyst Peter Labardius in just moments. It's a Thursday, which means uh, we've got our Thursday regular chat with Adnan Verk from MLB Network, NHL Network, and the Stifile Podcast coming up here in hour one. As we always do on a game day, we'll take a look in on the Chicago Blackhawks as well and their pursuit of Connor Bedard. What does the trade deadline look like for the Blackhawks? Will Kane and Taves remain in Chicago past the March 3rd trade deadline? And we'll uh, check into the Scotia Bank Here for a couple members of your Calgary Flames. That's all to come on the program today, but let's kick things off. Like we always do, heading down the Atlas Beats and Sports Bar guest hotline and welcoming in uh, the color voice of the Calgary Flames here on Sportsnet 960. He joins us every single day to kick off the program. It is Peter Labardius. He's brought to you by the Gemini Group Home Renovations. The Gemini Group knows your home renovations should be a reflection of who you are. Give your home the Gemini difference. Now offering air miles, reward miles. Visit thegeminigroup.ca. Good afternoon, Lou. How are you, sir? I'm marvelous. I'm absolutely marvelous today. I love to hear it, my man. Uh, Flames game day. i not
0: sure. Not sure. I just wanted to throw that out <laughs> and see how you might react to
1: it. I, hey, I'm happy that you're happy, pal. I'm good. I'm That's good, good to I'm hear. Good. Yes. Uh, game day. Last one of January. Last one of this four-game homestand and the Flames have a chance uh, to make it a good one, Lou. They can go 3-1 and one with a victory tonight against the Chicago Blackhawks and a chance for this Flames team to pick up two points that maybe they should have had when they played Chicago earlier this month.
0: They were not overly uh, marvelous in that game. Um, They did rally from down 3-1. They did have a couple power play goals in the game, Um, but it wasn't their best night. So I don't feel any different about this game than the game that they played three days ago, and that is nothing less than two points at the end of the night, however you get them. Is okay. And this is a Chicago team that did not have Patrick Kane in their lineup the last time. And I know Patrick has not had, you know, the type of season or anywhere near it, but they're obviously better with the sure to be first ballot Hall of Famer in their lineup than they were in that game. And this is a team that. If you do what Calgary did for probably too much at even five-on-five at times, although I think the Flames had 86 shot attempts in the game, so it's not like they didn't have the puck. But this is a team, whether it's Seth Jones, um, if you allow them, and especially their defense, to be looking at your net a lot of the night and feed some of their speedy talented people, you're going to be in one again tonight. And so what you'd love to see is for the Flames to come out, as they did the other night, have a good start, and really put Chicago in a hole and then take hold of the night and guarantee yourself two more big points in this race before you go in and you face Seattle tomorrow night.
1: As far as the lineup today... Uh, against the Blackhawks. Obviously, no Chris Tanev. We got that news no. yesterday. Uh, so everything will remain the same as far as the forwards go. The D pairings will look a little different. Uh, Mackenzie Weger back to his natural side with Nikita Zadorov, And Connor Mackey will get an opportunity to come back into the lineup. Lou, he'll be paired with Michael Stone. What are you looking for uh, from Connor Mackey tonight as he gets back in the lineup?
0: Well, Daryl had a great answer about it and I'll paraphrase a little bit, As he told me when I asked him, and you'll hear Daryl's whole interview tonight on our Flames warm-up pregame show, is he wants to see more of what he referred to as Connor's personality. And so I asked Daryl this way, do you need a young player to, to come in and stay within himself and not try to do too much? And I think what he was getting at in terms of personality, as he referred to him today, as a high-character young man, which if you've ever spent any time with him, that he is. So go in tonight, be assertive. That, for me, when I've watched him develop over the years, is when he's assertive and he's up closing gaps when he gets an opportunity. And, you know, he, he, he can be a very aggressive guy, sometimes to the point where... You know, in the NHL, in certain games, I think it was either his first or second game in the league. Back a couple of years ago, he took, you know, two or three penalties one night in Vancouver. Uh, He actually has two goals this year. He scored both of them in a game in St. Louis in the second last game that he participated in. So, be smart. The only thing about that position that I always think about is... It's not, again, what you take. You just want to be a guy that Ryan Huska tonight, who does such a marvelous job, you know, running the defense and making those hard decisions, want to feel like you can use him the whole night. That, that to me, you know, when we assess it in his performance on the post-game show, and you'll probably be about four feet from me when that happens tonight, that's what I'm hoping for. And I've always loved his skating ability Um, He can play with an edge, get it, move it, use your speed to close gaps. Just be a good, reliable, trustworthy guy for the, you know, 10 minutes you're likely to get.
1: Other lineup change for the Calgary Flames. Lou comes in net. Uh, Dan Vladar will sit this one out. Uh, how's Jacob the text, How's
0: the tax line working on that one today? Uh,
1: you know what? Uh, it's early. It's still uh, okay. still right. mixed. We'll uh, we'll get a better feel as the day goes on. But yes, Jacob Markstrom gets the start in goal tonight. He hasn't played since the Flames four one loss to start this home stand last Wednesday against the Colorado Avalanche. We figured there would be some sort of split. For these two games to finish off the uh, scheduled pre-All-Star break, Lou, but what are your thoughts on Markstrom going tonight?
0: Well, I think it really fits what the team has done in a lot of ways all year in terms of how you handle back-to-backs. And, you know, Daniel Vladar has usually been the goalie that will get a back-to-back. Um, he'll get one coming off some travel, and, you know, it's going to be a late night for the group. Fortunately for Calgary, it's you know it's a seven o'clock start and the nice thing is going in that direction uh, you get an hour back so that's good so it's it's not Edmonton but it's you know it's, and it's not quite Vancouver it's farther to fly there probably closer to a buck forty and then you got to go through customs when you get there um, that's generally how it is worked its way out you knew at least I assumed that you know, one guy was going to play one and one guy was going to play another. Now, I guess I shouldn't think that's for sure either. But it's just, it's, it's so vital and so critical that Jacob, to me, feels really good or better about himself as somebody who puts great pressure and demands a lot, which is why he's a very good goalie. You just love to see the team come out and get him some run support for a change, and that he's dialed in and dialed in early and leaves the rink tonight, and if it indeed is his last start before the break, give him a little juice on whatever he's going to do during that time off and be ready to go at Madison Square Garden on February the 6th.
1: Flames and Blackhawks tonight from the Scotiabank Saddle Dome. Game 4 of 4 on a homestand for the Calgary Flames. One more to go tomorrow night uh, in Seattle before they are off uh, for their All-Star break. And uh, One guy, Lou, celebrating a pretty special milestone tonight for the Calgary Flames is Tyler Toffoli. He is set to skate in game number 700 of his NHL career. If you include playoff games, he has well surpassed that, but... uh, a very special monument. It's not a 1,000 games, but he's well on his way to reaching that milestone. What do you think of when you you think of 30-year-old Tyler Toffoli and hitting, you know, 700 career NHL games tonight?
0: Well, I would think the first thing that comes to my mind is just how consistent he has been this year in particular. Um, I think he's right up there in terms of forwards and the consistency that they have played with. Uh, You know, he's had Lots of production this year in terms of goal totals, and you know he's surpassed the forty point total, so you know he's he's given this team exactly what you would want in the position that he is in, and you know the older you get and he's thirty, that's really what allows you to continue to be a good player is in your preparation, and he's you know i remember watching him even going way back to his time in junior with the ottawa 67s where he had you know 110 points and then 108 points logan in his last couple of years and even then the minor concern and probably why you know he wasn't a first rounder was skating you know he's not an elite skater he wasn't then he's not now but he has an elite brain um he's highly competitive still shoots it an absolute ton he you know daryl knows him better than anybody so let's hear from daryl on a player that he has watched grow develop won a stanley cup with him and now hoping to go on a nice run this year with him
2: pretty good player for a long time paid his dues in the american league and did this? He's taking a similar path that, quite honest, that some of the young guys here are taking. Where they, uh, our plan with Ty was to bring him up, let him watch, send him back, bring him up, play him a little, send him back, and then, and then give it to him. And actually, I remember, don't remember much about him. but Regular season early in his career, I remember. I remember playoffs early in his career more.
0: That's the highest compliment I think that coach can give you that he remembers when, the most important time, because that is the most important time. And if you're seen as a good player at that time of year, that holds a lot of weight. And you know how I feel about that. That is one page that he and I are completely on together. I enjoy the regular season. I value it. It, it, It's vitally important because it's so hard now to make the playoffs. So I don't ever want to discount that, but Mm -hmm. you're going to get about five extra check marks for me. If you've been a good playoff player in your career. And, you know, we saw even what happened with Tyler in his stint in Montreal a couple of years ago. So had a, had a heck of a career, um, have watched him for a long, long time. And it, it has, it's, he's one of those guys that I almost, I've always appreciated him a lot but you can really appreciate a good player even more when you're lucky enough to see them day in and day out.
1: Tyler Toffoli set to skate in game number 700 of his NHL career. He's got 17 goals and 23 assists, good for 40 points in 48 games, and that's uh, setting him up to have his best career year offensively since... uh, all the way back in 2015, 16, Lou, when he had 58 points yes. as a member of the L.A. Kings, he hit the 31 goal mark and had 27 assists that year. So it looks like it could be it could surpass his career road. year for that. Uh, the yep. way he's going right now, so that's
0: true. He's at 40 points now. <clears throat> so he uh, absolutely is either right on pace. I don't have my uh, home calculator really with me. Um, and I leave some of those percentages for others, and that's good. But he uh, he's absolutely on track to be in that neighborhood or past it.
1: And uh, perhaps one way he could uh, help himself get to those numbers or surpass them is if the Flames uh, can find some more success on the power play, Lou. And that's something that you talked uh, with head coach Daryl Sutter about uh, as part of the coaches show today. You'll hear this in its entirety a little bit later on, but just sort of walk us through us as the coaches, and I've heard him say this a few times this year, he's trying to pass along a different way of thinking when it comes to uh, how we look at power play success for the Calgary Funds. That's
0: well said. That's very well said, and I've heard it myself a few times. So yesterday, um, after the scrum, I, I asked him a couple of things. I asked him about why he thinks that leads have been harder to hold and not just here in Calgary, but across the league. And he by and large, you know, that I've referred to that Todd McClellan conversation many times about skill and, you know, fourth lines in the league that already, you know, you look at Trevor Lewis with his eight and what Brett Ritchie has done. It's, it's different and it's hard on goalies and You're harder to defend, and I really think, and and so does Daryl. That's a big reason on the leads. Now, as far as the power plays are concerned, where I am now looking, and thanks in no short part to the head coach going there for about the third or fourth time recently, is for him, because penalties are different in the league these days, and for him it's not about percentage. It's about how many goals you have on the power play and where that sits. Because as he said to me, and you'll hear his answer now in the clip, you know, if there's if there's a lot of one for three type nights, well that's thirty three percent. So for him, it's about how many, more so than the percentage. And thought about it for the last few weeks, so I thought I would ask him today about that very subject, and now we can share his answer on how he looks at what power play success is.
2: Well, a, that's an old league stat, quite honest, and, and the reason the percentages were always used because there was probably five more penalties a game, so you know, I remember when there was teams that had 20%, they'd have 100 goals on the power play. So the goals are way more important. So when you, it's the same thing power play penalty kill goals for and against and penalties for and against are still are still way more important than percentages. So if you do the league today it'll be there'll be probably 10 or 15 teams that are 40 or more goals, and there'll be 10 that are in the 30s, and then there'll be four or five that'll be below it, and you want to be high in the 30s, right, so that you're above the middle of the pack. don't expect our power play to be top five or anything like that, but you expect it to be in the top half.
0: So as of today, after tracking it, the Calgary Flames have scored 30 power play goals this year, which leaves them in a tie with the Carolina Hurricanes tied for 20th in the league. And so there are seven teams in the league with 40 or more power play goals, including a division rival in the LA Kings who have 42. The Edmonton Oilers, to no one's surprise, leads the National Hockey League with 54 of them, then you might be surprised at who has the second most goals in the NHL in the power play. It's the Ottawa Senators at 47, and Boston is next at 44, and they just never lose ever. Um, so whatever they're touching really matters. So thought we'd have that discussion, um, and the Flames would definitely, I think, if Daryl had his wish after the break, and including two games going into it, would love to get themselves at least in the top 15 of the league in that power play goal category.
1: Uh, On the other side, Lou, as we uh, look at the opponent, the Chicago Blackhawks, we mentioned uh, earlier this month the Flames falling uh, to Chicago in a game uh, in the Windy City, 4-3 in overtime, a couple of notes that I wanted to pass along uh, about Chicago before we let you go and uh, first one is gonna be in net for the Calgary uh, for the Chicago Blackhawks I should say taking on Calgary. Uh, Jackson Stauber makes his uh, second career NHL start tonight for Chicago uh, as a 23 year old uh, undrafted free agent. He's currently up on emergency recall for the Chicago Blackhawks. Former Providence College uh, goaltender in the NCAA. He's had 12 games at the AHL level this year, Lou. He's got a 3.06 goals against and an 8.96 save percentage. So safe to say that this is a good opportunity for the Calgary Flames. You've got a young goaltender in just his second career start. Uh, Make some waves, make life difficult on the opposing goaltender will be a big thing for Daryl's crew tonight.
0: Well, it'll be absolutely massive. And I just took a further peek because Derek and I were chatting about half an hour ago about Jackson Stauber. And he is indeed the son of former Los Angeles King, Rob Stauber. And you actually made me question a little bit because when you said he went to Providence, his dad was a star back in the late 80s when I watched him at the University of Minnesota. So there's some definite bloodlines there. And... Your message is 100% correct. And that is anytime you have a young goalie, you do not want to make his life easy. And they didn't make Alex Stalock's life very easy in the loss in Chicago a couple of weeks ago. But yes, that will be vitally, vitally important. Make their defense play all 200 feet of the rink and make their goalie have a very difficult night. So I'm, I'm I'm excited. I'm always excited to see players with my own two eyes that I haven't been able to see. And because of, you know, Stauber also played his dad for the United States at the Olympic Games, if I remember correctly. Um, I think he would have been on the 88 team or the 92 team. So bloodlines are pretty good. Dad's done some coaching too, so we'll see how Jackson Stauber makes out tonight in goal.
1: And uh, last thing I wanted to put on your plate today, Lou, and uh, really not just for yourself, but for anybody watching the game tonight. Oh, well, I had
0: something great on my plate last. Oh, sorry. Well, <laughs>
1: yeah, we'll get to that in a second too. Uh, <laughs> That's tomorrow. Yeah, as far as uh, as far as tonight goes, uh, don't look now, but uh, this is the last time the Blackhawks are in Calgary this season and uh, it might be the last time that Jonathan Taves and uh, Patrick Kane come through these doors, Lou, in Chicago. colors. Actually, that's not true. They are here late in April, but the uh, the trade deadline coming on March 3rd and the future of both of these two uh, superstars still up in the air, and uh, wouldn't it be something if this was the last time that both of them were in the Saddle Dome as members of the Blackhawks? It's going to be an interesting couple of weeks around Chicago.
0: Well they're incredibly special players um in the case of Jonathan Taves through his career one of the most clutch players to ever play at all levels starting with you know a couple of world junior triumphs in the olympics and um you know three stanley cups patrick kane um you know he he loves the game. He knows the game. He watches a ton of the game. He always has spectacular player. Um, always really had a, a soft spot for him, too, going back to watching him as a member of the London Knights in his one and only year in the Ontario Hockey League. Um, you know, the one sh- story I like to share every once in a while about Patrick Kane is... Um, he was playing for the United States in a World Junior Summer-type showcase event in Lake Placid that I went to um, in his draft year. And I remember talking to some scouts and, and other people in Lake Placid, and it's like, is he going to be able to do those same things with his size? And, you know, he's not necessarily a burner as far as a skater. And they were playing in a game that afternoon against Sweden. And Logan, I kid you not, in about a minute and ten, on one shift, he created on his own virtually four grade A scoring chances. Four on one shift that they finally scored on. And I've never forgotten it because I forget who I was standing with at the time, and I'm like, <laughs> you know what? If this is any indication, you know, against a national team and a good one from another country, and that was also at the time, you know, if if I think about it, Michael Backlund might have been on that team too, um, going way back then. I'm like, I don't know. You know, I don't know. You never know really how it's going to translate back at the time, but – that was a shift that has stuck in my mind, obviously, forever. And i um, going to be a first ballot Hall of Famer and still a really dangerous guy. You don't want to feed him any extra opportunities.
1: We'll see them uh, in those great Chicago uniforms again tonight, uh, 7 o'clock puck drop. Uh, Lou, the next time we hear your voice, you'll be on uh, Flames' warm-up with Pat uh, a little bit later on this afternoon. Thanks for the time, as always, sir, we'll see you down at the Dome a little okay. later.
0: Look forward to it, as always, my friend. Take Bye-bye. care.
1: Peter Labardius, the color voice of the Calgary Flames, joining us down the Atlas Peach and Sports Bar guest hotline. He's brought to you every single day by the Gemini Group Home Renovations. The Gemini Group knows your home renovations should be a reflection of who you are Give your home the Gemini difference. The Gemini Group now offering air miles, reward miles. Visit them at thegeminigroup.ca. We'll take a break, come back on the other side. Time for our Thursday chat with the one and only Adnan Verk. He's coming up next here on Sportsnet 960, The Fan. You're listening to
0: Sportsnet Today with Logan Gordon on the home of the flames. Sportsnet 960, The
1: Fan. Sportsnet Today rolls on here this Thursday afternoon. Logan Gordon along with you, the outstanding production duo of Cam and Taylor in the other room. Cam says he's doing work, but... trying here. Can you really ever trust it? No. Uh, how's it going on Thursday there? My right. wonderful production duo. How are we?
3: Doing all right. Took the, took the car into the shop last night, getting it fixed up, so we're transit bound today and uh
1: you've been transit bound all week though you've been trying to get that thing in haven't you
3: yeah i booked it in on monday finally got it in last night
0: imagine not having a car to drive oh
3: imagine just buying that car not all that long ago
0: imagine not having the same car for 13 years that still runs like a dream
1: is it a honda civic
0: it is a toyota venza
1: Uh, that'll do it yeah so why now we'll we'll chat with Adnan and Ver coming up in just moments here, but while we uh wait to get Adnan on, you had it booked on Monday.
3: Called them on Monday. They're like bring it in Thursday morning.
1: Oh no, you okay, so you called them Monday. Yeah. You didn't it wasn't booked in on Monday. No, just, I called
3: them Monday and they're okay. like, Yeah, all right, bring it in Thursday. And so I brought it in last night, and dropped it off.
1: What's uh what's wrong with it? Maybe we can diagnose it here live on the show.
3: The official estimation is it's a a power steering leak, but uh, it could be anything at this point. Doesn't sound good. I it drove there, so mm. really, I, I don't. know. Mm. It's what makes a Subaru a Subaru. Not sponsored. The
1: power steering leak is that that's what makes it a
3: yeah. No, it's just being in the shop makes it a Subaru.
1: Oh, why'd you buy a Subaru?
3: Uh. I, I like the boxer motor. It goes.
1: Very good sound. Taylor quite liked that.
3: Yeah. Okay. Probably sounds better than her Venza.
1: Um, my
4: Venza does not make a gonna, noise. I was going
1: to say her Venza is still working, so. <laughs> Joke's on you, Cam. Brutal. I haven't
2: had to take it in the shop for.
1: Her Venza's got 575,000 miles on it, but. Is it in the shop right now? No,
3: it's no. never
0: in the shop. The most fixes I've had to do to it is just put in new spark plugs.
3: Taylor's brake pads are like one millimeter thin. It oh, actually, no, we every did time. change.
0: My dad and I did change those recently, so we're good there.
1: Proper car maintenance with Taylor, showing you how it's done.
0: That's what it's like to have a mechanic father.
1: Yeah, my uncle's uh, a mechanic, so we get that uh, get that going in the family too. Um, Some NHL news today. Obviously, we're focused on a game day here. Flames and the Chicago Blackhawks coming up at the Saddle Dome. Markstrom v. Stauber is your goaltending matchup. And if you're asking me right now, uh, did I make that name up for Chicago? No, I did not. Uh, Jackson Stauber, a 23-year-old Minnesota native, an undrafted free agent, currently on emergency recall. With the Chicago Blackhawks set to make his second career uh, NHL appearance tonight, he has played 12 games at the AHL level this year. He's sporting a 3.06 goals against and an 8.96 save percentage. And news out of Vancouver, a uh, re-signing for them. It's been in the works. Sounds like for a, a couple of weeks now, but the uh, Vancouver Canucks and Andre Kuzmenko coming to terms on a two-year contract, $5.5 million on the AAV, and a 12-team no-trade list. That comes from Elliot Friedman, our uh, NHL insider from Sportsnet and Hockey Night in Canada. So uh, once again, another uh, priority signing for the Vancouver Canucks, ahead of their own captain, uh, Andre Kuzmenko. So it doesn't sound as though, despite plenty of insiders like Frank Saravalli, Merrick, Friedman wondering, What a Andre Kuzmenko trade might look like for Vancouver if they were willing to shop him Uh, doesn't sound as though that's going to be the plan. He's going to be in Vancouver for at least the next two seasons uh, if he follows through on that extension. Uh, He's been a great signing for them this year, the 26-year-old, with uh, 21 goals and 22 assists so far in 47 games. That's the, uh, the latest around. The NHL. We'll dive more into uh, the Flames and the Blackhawks as the uh, afternoon goes on here, but uh, we'll go down the Alice Pizza and Sports Bar guest hotline right now and uh, welcome in our Thursday regular from the NHL Network, MLB Network, and of course the Cinephile Podcast. Uh, Very pleased to chat with our pal Adnan Verk once again. Verk, how are you, man?
4: going great, buddy. Trip to Montreal was fantastic. Landed uh, hour 15 to get there. Smoked meat poutine. Immediately mm. was consumed at Frite Alor, which was incredible. So you knock out two and one. Uh, had dinner, got to see all the boys. And then, as we discussed, got to go to the game. Amazing atmosphere. Leafs halves as good as it gets. Maybe Battle of Alberta is better, but still pretty good. Although, shockingly, at least 70% upper tank all Leafs fans, it was unbelievable. Puck drop in your ear, go Leafs going. Oh, my God. <laughs> but stay for the first period, five minutes into the second period. It's been fun, folks. Head right down to the sports bar, which is in the Bell Center, to watch Eagles and the Giants. And I was worried. I thought I'd have to beg the uh, bartender to actually change the channel. But, no, it was already on the game. I'm like, yes, all right. So there there are a few NFL fans here in Montreal, even during the Leafs-Habs game. So, Small TV watching the Eagles just run shot over the Giants. And I'm also hearing the crowd and the noise of the Habs who come back, pull a stunning upset, 3-2 against Toronto after being down 2-0. Samuel Montembeau looked like Ken Dryden out there. It was unbelievable. So a very unique experience. I paid $159 to hit Section 425, six rows from the top, to watch a period of hockey, and then go watch the Eagles dismantle the Giants. What a weekend.
1: It was probably worth it, right? Like, you're you're more than happy with your decision, especially given how the Eagles, like you said, dismantled their division rivals.
4: Yeah, I'm glad I'm not the superstitious type logo. Otherwise, I'm going like, to go back to Montreal to watch the game this Sunday. I was probably <laughs> the good luck charm watching the game there. i got to keep this run going. But yeah, it was an awesome, awesome uh, performance by Hertz and company. I mean, they really just they outclassed him, right? Like, you, you, you and I have seen games where one team just shouldn't be there. Like, the Giants just didn't belong, and Philadelphia looked amazing, which is why I have to guard against some overconfidence. I feel – I know we're jumping ahead here, but I feel fully confident about Philly beating the, the Niners this weekend. I know it's a tight spread, and, but I'm like, my, my view goes to this. If my team plays their best, then my team wins. Like, I've seen San Francisco's best, and my best is better than their best. Like, if Hurts just roll like he is – and we've got so many weapons when it comes to A.J. Brown or Miles Sanders or Dallas Goddard. And defensively, like, watching that Cowboys-Niners game, like, San Fran struggled to put points to the board, right? 19-12 game, Dallas had the ball. Wasn't close in that final drive, but you never know what could have happened. Like, that was a, a grinded-out slugfest. And you always have to look at strength versus strength. Eagles offense against 49ers defense. Now, of course, the two provides those always. Turnovers and injuries. If Philly turns the ball over, San Francisco's is going to make them pay. But if it's clean football, I think the Eagles win.
1: Yeah, it's interesting. I saw that spread and immediately I was actually with Pat when uh, when we saw the spread come down. and going Eagles a minus two and a half. I mean, that's a neutral site favoring the San Francisco 49ers. And look, I've been as impressed with Brock Purdy as anybody, but I'm like, are we still talking about the same Eagles team that, you know, dominated most of the regular season, has three losses, they got through the Giants like it was nothing. I just don't I just don't see the same challenge there. I was surprised to see it as tight as it was from Vegas.
4: I'm glad you and Patty agree. This Eagles team went fourteen and three, but of course Hertz missed those two games. So fourteen and one with Hertz as a starter, and then they win that playoff game in which they just ran rush shot over the Giants. Like so you won fifteen of sixteen games with Hertz as a starter. And maybe he's not hundred percent healthy, but he looked pretty good to me. Like if he's at all compromised We'll find out the other's playoff run that the shoulder was worse than we thought, but again, looked pretty good to me. Took some big hits, didn't seem to come up wonky at all. Unlike Mahomes, where the entire you know state of Missouri is running. what's happening with his high ankle sprain. So, I'm with you. Again, we are not sharks, but I was like, Oh, know Eagles minus six and a half. Like they're going to win this game by a touchdown. That would be my betting line. So, yeah, I'll take that two and a half. Uh,
1: on the other side, we get another edition of Bengals Chiefs, and if you're a Chiefs fan, you got to be worried. Ed, and last time. These two teams met in a postseason. The whole problem was Patrick Mahomes couldn't get away from the Cincy D line. Now he's on half an ankle with this high ankle sprain, and he's got to face the Bengals once again. Chiefs only favored by a point on
4: Sunday. Yeah, I mean, that's that's scary looking at that line. Again, I was like, wow. I remember when it opened, right? Bengals was like minus one and a half. I go, that's amazing. is favorite against KC but that's how much consternation there is around Patrick Mahomes. You know, you never really know how bad the injury is until the guy plays. The reason why I'm not overly concerned is Mahomes did return. Like, if he had left that game in the second quarter, and he came in and quarterbacked him to the win, I'd go, well, we don't know what's happening with Mahomes. But he did come back. Now, I get the fact he didn't light it up. He didn't throw, like, three touchdowns in the second half. But he was back. Um, And I just feel like with a week of treatment, rest, recovery, et cetera, In the NFL, these guys know what they're doing. They'll figure out a way to shoot him up and a way to go. But is he going to be compromised? I would assume a little bit. Like a high ankle sprain is a high ankle sprain. Probably regular season, he's missing a game, if not two. So playoffs is a different animal, and he'll gut it out. But that's why that line is so close. I think if Mahomes is healthy, Casey's favored by, you know, four or five points. But Bengals, Burrow has been tremendous. I mean, that game against the Bills, again, Buffalo shot themselves in the foot. Self-destructive, you know behavior, and Alan's going to clean up those turnovers. But since he looked great, and now Burrow really has assumed the mantle of being the next big thing, the great young quarterback. And how about this? Imagine if Mahomes isn't fully healthy. Or forget him. Imagine he is. Just the Bengals play better. Like That could happen since you could just outplay them. Mm -hmm. Burrow and the Bengals back in the Super Bowl. How wild will that be? A franchise that has been inept, right? Horrific for how long? And we're talking about seeing a couple of Super Bowls. In our life, that back-to-back years—crazy to think of. If you're a Cincy fan, uh,
1: a couple of baseball topics I wanted to throw your way. I definitely want to get to some Oscar Nom stuff with you while we've got you, Adnan. But uh, first things first. When you think of Scott Rowland, do you think of MLB Hall of Famer?
4: That's the best way to phrase the question, right? You don't want to say when you look at this stat, look at that. You just go, "Hey, we're sitting at the bar, sitting around. Is Scott Rowland Hall of Famer? Yes or no?" And the answer is no, right away. Like I, I, any time you have to say, "Well," Let me look at the numbers. Let me dig into it. It should be a gut check answer. And yet, there's a reason why the writers have 10 years that a guy's on a ballot. There's a reason why Roland gets in on his sixth year. Because when you do look at the numbers, you can start to make a convincing case for him. Here's how OPS Plus, same number as Paul Molitor. defensively, best defensive third baseman, arguably other than Brooks Robinson and up there with Mike Schmidt, guy that had power on a bunch of different teams. Definitely was durable for a good stretch of time. Never won an MVP, but definitely a power threat. A guy you had to worry about in your lineup. And third baseman of the most underrepresented position in the Hall of Fame. Only 17 of 270. That's 6%. So when you look at the total landscape and go, I think he's more Hall of very good than ultimately great. But again, what also happens is timing. Look at the ballot. There wasn't a no-brainer consensus guy except for Baltron. Beltran's first year on the ballot would have been a no-brainer, except for the Astros' sign-sealing scandal. So I think Beltran debuted at 46%, something like that, maybe 54 whatever it was. Like, he's going to get in, but the writers clearly said, okay, we're going to have to use the character clause on this guy. Yes, he'd be in as one of the great switch hitters of all time, but because of what happened, you don't get to be a first ballot guy. There's something special to be able to say you're a first ballot guy. That's why, by the way, I didn't think David Ortiz would get in first ballot guy because of the fact, I think most people know, when that – Failed drug test game it was supposed to be anonymous. It was Poppy's. Now, Rob Manfred said, Hey, don't hold that against him. It was supposed to be anonymous. And everyone knows it was Ortiz's. And then he pulled like an OJ, like, oh, I'm going to go find what happened here. Like, I'm going to, like, OJ, I'm like, call first, i going to go find the real killer. Like, like, come on, dude. We know what happened here. And, and, and Poppy still got in, Logan, the first time, which I was surprised by. Now, nah, they're going to make him wait a couple years, and of course, he can get in. But in this instance, Roland gets in only by five votes. So it was close. Helton misses by 11 votes. Historically, when you get that close, you are going to get in. And the guy that I would have voted is Billy Wagner. He's 27 votes shy. What's happened is closers have been hurt by sabermetrics and analytics. They say, well, how important are you if you just pitch one inning? Like, you're not that important. But Wagner is number two to Rivera in every major category for closers, especially when you look at advanced stats. I know Hoffman's got more saves, but if you look at, you know, uh, ERA plus and the strikeout per nine, like Billy Wagner's right there, right behind Mariano Rivera. And Mad Dog Russo, I love, tried to bring up the argument, well, Wagner wasn't good in the playoffs. He had four appearances. Like, he had 10 ERA in four appearances. That doesn't count. That's the ultimate small sample size. Billy Wagner should be in. He will get in. 27 votes shot, like I said. But next year's ballot will be interesting. Beltrade's on there. That's a no-brainer. Over 3,000 hits. Again, great hitter, great third baseman speaking up. That's going to go back-to-back. Chase Utley's going to be on the ballot next year. Joe Mauer. Don't think those guys get in. But maybe after year six, seven, all of a sudden more votes come their way. Uh, after that year, after that, Ichiro. Sabathia. Like, it's going to start to of get interesting with some of these names and cases you can make for them being Hall of Famers and first ballot guys. Last thought on Roland, his first year on the ballot, he got 10.2%. That now sets a record. That's the lowest mark ever for a guy's first year on the ballot who did end up getting up in the Hall of Fame. Huge jump the last couple of years, and hell, a big jump. He went from 52% to 72 this year. So it's wild to see how opinions change over time.
1: And uh, another interesting thing that came from the voting this year, too, that I I thought was really, really interesting was uh, that A-Rod is kind of, uh, as I saw a couple people note, he's kind of stuck in that Roger Clemens, Barry Bond situation where his vote total jumped by barely 1% this year. He's at just 35.7%. And that's still below where Bonds and Clemens debuted when they came on in 2013, I think it was, Ed, man. It's only been two years, but it really feels like it's going to be an uphill climb if it ever happens for A-Rod.
4: Yeah, I can't see it happening, Logan. As I mentioned, the same breath. Some guys have big jumps, like rolling to help. That does happen. It's not going to happen with A-Rod. Like, I, I would be astounded. A lot would have to change in the court of public opinion because people are going to say, well, this guy he got caught twice. Like, he, he literally was banned for a year by the commissioner. Like, this was about as bad as it gets. If you're going to hold up the other steroid-era guys, Rodriguez has to be one of those as well. In many ways, he's the poster boy for PEDs, along with, you know, Canseco, McGuire, all the rest of it. So, yeah, his numbers barely moved. Manny Ramirez's numbers barely moved. Again, failed the steroid test. You'd like to think maybe some people say, well, before they used steroids, they were stars. But with A-Rod's case, they've been using it all along. And who knows with Manny? Like, you know, later in their careers, all the evidence came out. But who knows at what point it all started. So big, big names are not going to be in. And it's that debate will continue, right? When I hear Hall of Fame, it's not the Hall of Good Guys. So you say, well, it's a museum. It's a testament to baseball history. Those guys should be in on some level. But I also totally have the other part of it. As I worked with Bill Ripken the other day, his brother Cal played the game the right way, never tasted drugs why should cheaters be allowed in when the other guys didn't cheat? So it's, it's a murky issue, but you're right. According to the voters, there's no way A-Rod or Manny are getting in anytime soon.
1: Uh, initial reaction from you, Adnan, that Dana Brown will be the next GM of the uh, Houston Astros after four seasons as the VP of
4: scouting in Atlanta? Yeah, great to see. I mean, listen, Atlanta has been a real factory as far as talent is concerned. And we, of course, love our fellow Canadian, Alex Anthopoulos, what he's built there. So for Houston was an odd situation with regards to Jim Crane the fact that you know you would think the owner would love James Click this general manager has put together this team and I know a lot of those imprints by the way are from Jeff Luna previously who of course no longer is there but you know Click working with Crane and Dusty Baker for some reason was not as strong a relationship as you might think you win the World Series you gotta think you're coming back but no Dusty's returning with James Click is not so they go to Dana Brown so uh, listen, Houston's in good shape right now. As far as their talents are concerned, think how good you can be when you're the world series champion and you add Jose Abreu, like all that guy does is drive driving runs and there's another upgrade for them at first base. Amazing.
1: Uh, okay. Now to the part that, uh, I've been really excited to talk to you about. Uh, I love the sports and the S your Eagles are there. It's all exciting, but, uh, Oscar noms are out and there's plenty to talk about. And I know, you were so excited to see Tom Cruise and Jerry Bruckheimer across the uh, the nominees <laughs> page, especially adapted screenplay. ad, man. what a what a uh, massive win for uh, for, <laughs> for Top Gun Maverick! Uh, it never ceases to amaze me how the Academy goes about some of these things and the value that is sometimes put on films that are, are box office successes rather than. I guess, traditional theatrical successes like some of the other, and I mean that in sort of a, a representative way, and you know you know how it is, the money talks so much when it comes to things like the Academy Awards.
4: Yeah, for anybody who says, why do ratings matter? You know, the ratings have gone down for years. You used to get 30, 40 million people watching the Oscars. Now it's 12, 15 million. Well, the Academy relies on that night to really fund the Academy. So imagine if you and I are running the Academy of Motion Picture Arts and Sciences. Our big night is the Academy Awards and we used to get twice as many people watching as before we go, hey, we've got to shake this up, man. got to get some more viewers. So maybe it's pandering, but let's go get some big budget movies that everybody watches and then throw them into the party. So rather than five nominees or up to ten nominees, we're going full ten, full stop, no matter what. So Avatar 2 has made almost $2 billion. They're in. Top Gun Maverick, that movie is rightfully credited as bringing people back to movie theaters. They're in. And, and I get it. You're trying to just be as inclusive as possible. But the good news is everything, ever all at once is the indie darling that became a box office smash. $4 million budget from A24, which is an incredible studio for making these independent films. It was a real word of mouth hit. And I, I'll admit, when I first heard of it, I said, I have no interest in this film. Science fiction, mother-daughter story, martial arts, uh, different dimensions. Yeah, I'm good. That came out in April. And then it kept playing. And it, 20 straight weeks, it was in the top 10. Mm-hmm. And eventually, I said, okay, I've, I've got to keep watching this movie. So eventually, I saw it, Man, I said, okay, now I get it. It is such a great film because it's a combination of different genres and trying so many different things. So it was, it's remarkable to see the 11 nominations, four actors of Asian descent, obviously a record. But back to our boy, Tom Cruise. So the thing I was happiest about, thank God, he did not get nominated for Best Actor. There was four locks we knew, Frazier for The Whale, Colin Farrell for The Banshees of Inner Sharon, and Austin Butler for Elvis. It's a three-horse race right now. Butler won the Golden Globe. They love their biopics. It's a flashy performance. But Baz Luhrmann not nominated for director. That hurts the film overall. Farrell, again, well-liked, well-respected actor. This his time. Banshees gets nine nominations, and he's tremendous. Or maybe it's Brendan Fraser. Maybe the nomination is the win, or maybe George of the Jungle gets the victory. What hurts the whale is only three nominations overall. Fraser, Hong Chow for Sporting Actress, which was a great nomination, and makeup as well. People don't love the Whale as much as they love the Banshees and Sharon. But maybe Brendan Fraser completes the comeback and gets the Oscar. Now, Bill Nye gets nominated 73 years of age for a film called Living, which is a remake of one of my favorite movies of all time, Akira Kurosawa's Ikiru. I didn't think Living was all that special, but Bill Nye liked him achieving an award fine, 73 years old. The fifth slot was either going to be Cruise, Adam Sandler for Hustle, which you've all seen, basketball movie on Netflix, mm-hmm. uh, Jeremy Pope for a terrific film called The Inspection, or the guy ended up being Paul Mescal for After Some, which is a really small indie film. I wasn't crazy about it, but it's a nice father and daughter movie for those that liked it. So I let it be a huge relief because they, they announced the names alphabetically. So once Cruz was omitted, I, mean, I was thrilled. But you are right; he is one of the producers of Top Gun: Maverick. So my worst fears could come true if it wins Best Picture. And now back to your overarching point, which is the funniest point. I have no issue with this film getting nominated for visual effects and sound, etc. And I would think even the most ardent critic of Top Gun Maverick would admit the cinematography is pretty cool. Not nominated for cinematography, but is nominated for adapted screenplay. So you're telling me people walked out of that theater and said, well, the Ariel Suns were okay. But, man, that script is incredible. (laughs) That dialogue is the kind of script that writers will dream of years from now. Easily the most head-scratching nomination, Top Gun for adapted screenplay.
1: Still, still running through my mind as soon as I saw it. I'm like that, that, that doesn't make sense. That has to be a typo. That has to be some sort of error. But no, uh, we know it all too well that it's real. Uh, give me your biggest snub uh, so far. I know we're we're still in it. There's lots of categories, and there'll be some that people aren't as interested in. But if you think of biggest snub as far as nominees go, Adnan, where does your mind go?
4: Gotta go with the King of the World, James Cameron. I mean, this guy makes Avatar two two billion dollars. He's up for best picture. None of his actors are going to get nominated, you know that, but he's going to get nominated, right? No. Snubbed for best director, and he loses out to Ruben Oslin for the film Triangle of Sadness, which I'll be watching tomorrow night. Of the 10 best picture nominees, only one I hadn't seen, Triangle of Sadness, it's nominated for picture, and Oslin gets that fifth director spot. Other ones you knew. I knew that Daniels were going to get it. I think they're the favorite. Spielberg gets nominated again. McDonough, fantastic to see for the Banshees of Inner Sharon. Um, as I said, Lerman loses out for Elvis, but the fact that James Cameron, who really is everything Avatar, he doesn't get nominated was a genuine surprise. Also snub in the Best Actress category, you know, two black actresses. Again, we all know that the Oscars are so white and all the rest of the controversy. Two actresses, regardless of race and color, really deserve to be nominated. Viola Davis for The Woman King. Um, and the really one I really love is Danielle Deadwater for Till. Fantastic in that film. I would have thought when that movie came out, she's definitely getting nominated. Neither of them do. And more snubs, Margot Robbie for Babylon. That movie comes out $78 million budget, big Oscar heavyweight. No, three nominations. Critics dumped on it. Fans didn't like it. All it gets is like production design, costume design, and the original score. So Robbie is snubbed. Brad Pitt is snubbed. So I would say those are probably the big ones. I'd say And When you look at that list and go, no Tom Cruise for acting, no Brad Pitt, no Margot Robbie, no Violet Davis. Those are some big names missing. And James Cameron
1: uh oscars air date uh sunday march 12th so we got lots of time to uh to debate those as always uh edna you're the best man uh glad you had a great time in montreal i'll be cheering for your egos this weekend pal have a great week
4: thanks logo if i ever make it to calgary get gotta put me in the place where i can get smoked meat poutine As good as in
1: Quebec. I don't know if we can do that, (laughs) but we'll find you some good food out here. Take it easy, Virk. (laughs) See you, buddy. See you, pal. Adnan Virk joining us down the Atlas Beats and Sports Bar guest hotline, MLB Network, NHL Network, and, of course, the Cinephile Podcast. You can find Adnan at uh, Adnan S. Virk on Twitter. We'll take a break, come back on the other side. We'll kick off Hour 2. It's a Flames game day against the Chicago Blackhawks. Let's get an inside look at the Flames opponent. That's coming up next right here on Sportsnet 960 The Fan.